Welcome to Forum FedCast, exploring the world of federalism and multi-level governance. Brought to you by the Forum of Federations, the global network on federal and devolved governance. Governments around the world are currently grappling with one of the greatest social and economic challenges to be faced by humanity in a century, coronavirus. Since the first cases were identified in Wuhan, China in December 2019, it has spread largely unchecked around the globe. In response, unprecedented measures have been introduced by governments to protect people and health systems, with significant restrictions imposed on travel, economic activity, and personal social contact. As people adjust to the new normal of life under the pandemic, Governments around the world are assessing the impact of their actions and planning the next phases of their response. In federal countries, multiple levels of government are involved in the efforts to control the spread of COVID-19. As a threat which cuts across a wide range of areas of government activity, from healthcare to border control, transportation and essential infrastructure, and trade and business to name just a few, the pandemic presents a challenge to federal systems where responsibility for these areas is found at different levels of government. Of course, the ways in which federal countries respond to this kind of crisis depends on the structure of their systems. Healthcare is often the responsibility of subnational government, but even in these countries, the scale of the pandemic and the need for a holistic response means that national and local level governments are also involved in developing and implementing measures to control the spread of the virus. A health emergency as severe as the coronavirus pandemic raises key questions about the functioning of federal systems during times of crisis. How have federal countries responded to the challenge? How effective has the response been? Do the approaches tell us anything about how federal governance dynamics might change in the future? And perhaps most importantly of all, what has been the impact on people's lives within federal countries? In this episode, a North America coronavirus special, we take a look at how the governments in Canada, the United States, and Mexico have dealt with the pandemic and examine its impact on federal governance dynamics in each country. To explore these issues, we spoke to experts from each of the federations in North America. First up, from Canada. I'm Bob Ray. I'm a lifelong student of law, politics, and history, long-standing practitioner in the field of federalism, I was the Premier of Ontario in Canada and also served for a long time in the Canadian Parliament. Federalism is my, <laughs> is my game. From the United States. I'm John Kincaid. I'm the Robert B. and Helen S. Minor Professor of Government and Public Service and Director of the Minor Center for the Study of State and Local Government at Lafayette College in eastern Pennsylvania. I'm also President of the Center for the Study of Federalism and the main responsibilities of the center is to support Puglia's the Journal of Federalism. I have been doing research on the coronavirus and federalism in the United States. Previously, I worked as executive director of the U.S. Advisory Commission on Intergovernmental Relations, an independent federal commission in Washington, D.C., uh, so I do have some practical experience in federalism and intergovernmental relations. And finally, from Mexico. My name is Laura Flamand. I'm a professor at the Colegio de Mexico and the director of the Network for the Study of Inequalities. 
Uh, El Colegio is a publicly funded research center in Mexico. I'm a political scientist. I've been researching about the organization of the health system in Mexico and about federalism for around 25 years. During the COVID-19 pandemic, I've been looking very carefully at the responses of the federal and subnational governments in Mexico and other federations in Latin America. This is Forum Fedcast. The coronavirus pandemic is, first and foremost, a health crisis. So, how are the health systems in the federal countries of North America set up to deal with this challenge? In Canada, both the subnational and federal governments play a role in ensuring healthcare services are provided to Canadians. From the health side, the, the operation of the healthcare system has always been uh, carried by the provinces. And on the federal government has a sort of overriding role because of the Canada Health Act and because the federal government is such a big funder of the healthcare system. But the actual day-to-day operation of hospitals and public health systems and so on is carried out by the provinces. In the U.S., healthcare is primarily a state government responsibility, with the federal government playing a role in ensuring healthcare for individuals. Well, historically, the primary responsibility for health care has belonged to the states, and so the states are the primary responders to the COVID-19 pandemic. And so despite growing federal involvement in health care, the states remain the primary providers and regulator of health care in the United States. And that is primarily because states have what's called the police power which in the American constitutional system means the power to legislate for the health, safety, welfare, and morals of the citizenry. And that is not a power that was ever delegated to the federal government. So that's why we've seen governors issuing the stay-at-home orders and why, despite statements by President Trump, the federal government has not overridden any of those stay-at-home orders, nor has the federal government been in a position to reopen the states. So that's all responsibilities of the states. The federal government has no role in opening restaurants and schools and things like that. Those are all responsibilities of the state governments. The federal government's had a growing role in health care, particularly since 1946. That was the first major intervention into health care by the federal government, providing funds for hospital construction and modernization. Since that time, the federal government's role in health care has grown considerably, but that's more in relationship to health care for individuals that doesn't necessarily interfere with what the states do and in some cases is conducted in cooperation with the states. In addition, local governments have a significant amount of authority, and so in some cases, local governments have shut down earlier. The first counties to shut down in the United States were counties in the San Francisco area, and then that was followed by the state of California a short time later. And likewise, in most states, uh, local governments can delay a reopening if they feel that that's really necessary for their particular area. So the local governments have some voice in this as well. Healthcare provision in Mexico is complex, with various subsystems delivering services to different groups. The health system in Mexico, unfortunately, is a system that is rather fragmented. It has subsystems to tend to public officials, to oil workers, 
to people working in the formal economy. And there's another subsystem attending the informal, people working in the informal economy, which is a large uh, share of the population, roughly six out of 10 people working in Mexico work in the informal economy and thus do not have access to contributory social security and the health system, the health services attached to that. It's interesting to note what are the responsibilities of each order of government in the Mexican Federation. So public health is a responsibility, according to the Constitution, of the three levels of government, the federal one, states, and municipalities. And on top of that, on March the 30th, there was a declaration of the epidemic as a health emergency. This declaration doesn't imply a state of emergency like in other countries, but it provides a mandate for giving priority attention to, to, this, to this issue. And since March the 23rd, the federal government asked all citizens to stay home. So the Quédate en Casa call to all citizens has been the most common measure in Mexico. And the suspension of non-essential activities, although I have to say that monitoring and enforcement has been rather lax of all these measures. But, of course, the pandemic is not just a health crisis. It is also an economic one. Canada, the US and Mexico, like many countries, are facing economic challenges that are likely to last far beyond the health emergency. In Canada, the federal and subnational governments are both involved in the management of the economy. On the economic side, it's again a kind of a shared uh, jurisdiction. The federal government has overall responsibility for the health of the Canadian economy. But the details of, you know, should stores stay open, uh, which stores should stay open, how should that be regulated, labor relations, a lot of detailed health and safety policies inside factories and so on. Those are all carried by the provinces. So it's in typical Canadian fashion. It's a bit of a mixed bag. In the U.S., the federal government has provided significant fiscal support to state governments, as their role in the day-to-day management of state economies has become more challenging. The federal government has more macroeconomic responsibility. So we've seen the Federal Reserve System, which is our equivalent of a central bank, providing money to allow state and local governments to borrow money at advantageous terms as they confront the coronavirus crisis. We also had a stimulus package passed by the Congress, which is about $2 trillion. Debate is underway about another stimulus package. So the federal government provided some money to state and local governments in terms of dealing with the coronavirus crisis. So this is important because the states are not really in a position to borrow. The federal government can always print money so it can engage in deficit spending and therefore provide money to state and local governments, which by under their own constitutions need to have balanced budgets. The unemployment program in the United States is a joint federal-state program. So the federal government provides money for unemployment. Part of the stimulus package that was passed by Congress in March was to add $600 a week onto unemployment compensation for people who are unemployed. And so that money was provided to the states by the federal government. The states actually run in the unemployment program. So when someone becomes unemployed, they have to apply through their state unemployment office. 
The states also provide money toward the payment of unemployment benefits. So it's a very much of a cooperative federalism program. In terms of actually managing the day-to-day details of the economy, it's the states that regulate business hours. They have a major role in uh, regulating health and safety precautions. So the states play a very large role in economic management and will have to play a significant role in helping the state economies to recover uh, from the COVID-19 shutdowns that have occurred. And in Mexico, there have been calls for the governments to take stronger actions to mitigate the economic impacts of the crisis. The second part of the response of the federal and the state governments has been on the economic side. Of course, these people who depend on their daily income to survive cannot as easily stop their activities as people who have regular wages and who have contracts. There have been repeated calls from the private sector and society as a whole asking the federal government to devise a full program supporting the the economy. That, unfortunately, has not happened. We now have a government which is very, I would say, even afraid of acquiring public debt or of being accused of protecting large businesses. So the efforts to protect the economy have been really meager, weak, compared to other countries. Not only the European or the North American countries like Canada and the US, but Latin American countries. Intergovernmental relations, or IGR, are an integral part of every federal system. Interaction between orders of government is necessary to deliver governance functions effectively. In an emergency situation like the COVID crisis, IGR and coordination between governments is crucial. In Canada, where IGR is a constant, ongoing process, coordination between the governments has been quite intensive over recent months. Federal-provincial diplomacy is a constant in Canada. The federal and provincial governments are talking to each other all the time. That's not unusual. That's, that's really been the, the, the very nature of the federation, far more so than you know, others, many other jurisdictions where the distinctions between the federal and state or provincial authorities are, are far more rigid. I think what we've seen in Canada has been a real intensification of that diplomacy. We've seen any number of meetings between the premiers, but also meetings between health ministers, certainly constant daily phone calls uh, between health departments on issues around you know, how, what's actually happening on the ground in the, in the initial phase of the impact of the pandemic, where there was obviously a lot of coordination about how governments would intervene. There's been an astonishing coordination of provincial initiatives so that in many cases, provincial borders have been closed. There have been provincial quarantines established with very little friction, and far, far less friction than I think many might have anticipated between provinces. Everyone recognizes that a province has the right in a health crisis to limit travel, to limit people's ability to come into the province. And that, that has taken place. And there's been some, some differential in the speed with which and the pace at which people have opened up because we're now gone from the lockdown period to the opening up period. And that's being coordinated, but it's not entirely synchronized. 
There are differences between provinces. There are very strong differences in the rates of outbreak and in the rates of severity. There are many provinces in Canada, particularly in Atlantic Canada, that have essentially had no recent cases. So their populations are very keen to get moving. But in Quebec and Ontario, we still see the number of cases going back up again, which is creating a challenge for those authorities. But it is a, a very interesting example of how I think the Canadian story is really a story of improvisation using some traditional mechanisms, the federal government's spending power, the province's regulatory power, and then a great deal of contact and sharing of information, sharing of not only of data, but sharing of supplies, which has been a, a massive cooperative effort. I think everybody now is kind of walking around saying, when is this all going to end? Because you know, we also have quite a lot of squabbling in our federation <laughs> over the years about money and about jurisdiction and about a lot of other things. But so far, publicly at least, there hasn't been a lot of squabbling. A dual federalism approach has characterized IGR in the U.S. during the pandemic. No new mechanisms have really been established to provide for more coordination during the pandemic. I guess in the United States, it's more a situation of dual federalism. The states are carrying out their responsibilities largely independently of the federal government. The states have been the primary responders to the uh, pandemic. The federal government's role is really to provide more support and research in areas that are beyond the capabilities of the states. So the federal government ultimately did respond in terms of increasing the supply of ventilators and masks and uh, personal protection equipment for healthcare workers. And uh, the Federal Emergency Management Agency has played a role where appropriate as well. But the current presidential administration has not been particularly responsive. Uh, it has begun to move away from a focus already on the pandemic to other issues. So the states remain the primary responders to the crisis, which is, I would say, is more in the nature of uh, dual federalism rather than uh, cooperative federalism in dealing with coronavirus. In Mexico, the federal government has taken the lead in developing measures to control the outbreak, with decision-making coordinated through a special public health body. This crisis has been run mostly by the executives, both at the federal and state levels. In cases of emergency, like in this case during the during a pandemic, there's a body that's very important. It's called the National Public Health Council. And that was created in the very early 20th century, precisely to face pandemics or epidemics like the COVID-19 one. And this body is formed by several federal agencies. Of course, it's headed by the, the Minister of Health, the National Minister of Health. But it also includes the heads of the other subsystems integrating the health, the national health system in Mexico. So IMSS, the Social Security Institute, the INSABI, which is the institute that now is taking care of people working in the informal economy, ISTE, which is the institute taking care of the health of public officials. And also represented there is, the, of course, the, the Minister of Finance, the Minister of Economy, and the President of the National University of Mexico. 
So it's it's interesting how how this body created in the 20th century still responds quite well, I think, to the needs of the of the Mexican system now. So this body is the most important authority in times of health emergency. What I find interesting is that this body, which is the, the body responsible for responding to a health emergency like this, does not include subnational officials, which is quite surprising to me, because there are other bodies regarding fiscal issues or even environment issues in which the subnational units are, are heavily represented. For public policy, for example, for social policy in particular, the National Council of Social Policy is formed among federal actors, of course, but with one representative of each of the Mexican states. So it's quite surprising to me that the state governments and municipal governments have no voice and no vote in that National Public Health Council. Forum Fedcast is brought to you by the Forum of Federations, the global network on federal and devolved governance. In federal systems, intergovernmental tensions can arise over a wide variety of issues, and in times of crisis, they often become heightened. COVID has brought some of these pressures to the fore in the North American federations. In Canada, the potential activation of the Emergencies Act and the management of COVID outbreaks in long-term care facilities has tested relations between the federal and subnational governments. The federal government has not invoked the Emergencies Act, which is legislation which allows the federal government in extraordinary circumstances to declare a public health or any other kind of emergency. Uh, That hasn't happened. Most of the provinces have declared provincial emergencies, which have given them the power to pass regulations quite quickly and to deal with the management of hospitals quite effectively. I think the federal government did explore with the provinces the the possibility of the federal government invoking the public welfare sections of the Emergencies Act, and that did not happen. And it didn't happen, I think, in good part, because a significant number of provinces said, no, don't do this. It will only complicate our lives and ultimately yours. And the federal government decided that it, it, didn't, it, it didn't feel necessary for them to do it. Partly, I think, in fact, because on the pandemic side of things, on the health pandemic, they felt that the provinces were responding in an, in an appropriate way. Nobody was completely offside. Nobody was denying the issues. I think history will probably show that the entire federation was a little bit slow at the beginning to kind of really embrace what needed to be done. And I think we know from a lot of the academic data that being two or three weeks slower is, is a problem. And I think our overall rate of outbreak has in part reflected that. Not disastrously slow, not, not to a point of total negligence, but just a little bit, took a little while to get the system up and running. But when we did, it worked very well. I think the two critical areas where there's had been some tension, one is on the, the issue of the number of deaths in institutions caring for older people. And I think that the federal government has said more and, and indicated a greater degree of interest in dealing with this problem than their jurisdiction would seem to warrant at the present time. So I do think there will be some ongoing discussions between the feds and the provinces about what do we do about standards and what do we do about regulation enforcement and 
how can we bring this system up to a higher, uh, a higher level? And I don't think the federal government will back away from its interest in this area. And the other big area that I think we can, we can guarantee that there will be great arguments about going forward and great debates about is, is money. Because the federal government has expended a huge amount of money. Many of the provinces are in significant financial difficulty as a result of what's happened. And as I said, municipalities of all sizes are facing a huge financial crunch. So yeah, there will be some serious discussions about about money, which in a federation there always is. It's it's money is uh, is the oil that keeps the system running, and when when that seizes up, I can assure you there'll be lots of lots of conversations. Professor Kincaid believes much of the tension that has arisen between different levels of government in the U.S. is due to political partisanship rather than the structure of the federal system. Well, the tensions have really arisen more out of the nature of President Trump rather than the system itself. And so the president was making some extraordinary claims early on about he had absolute authority to open or close the economy. And it took him a few days to figure out that that was not the case. And he had to retreat from that position. We had the Senate majority leader saying that instead of looking for additional stimulus funds from the federal government, the states ought to think about declaring bankruptcy, which is a totally ridiculous idea within the context of the American federal system. And so those kinds of tensions have emerged. Part of it is the partisanship. And, you know, one of the most outstanding things about the U.S. response to coronavirus has been how much it's been driven by partisanship, with the Democrats and Republicans uh, viewing the pandemic itself very differently. Democrats see it as a much more dangerous virus than do Republicans. Uh, Democrats push the most for shutdown of the country. Joe Biden said we needed a national shutdown, whereas Republicans and Republican governors were slower to issue stay-at-home borders, also quicker to reopen their states. So many of the tensions don't have to do, I mean, they're possible because of the federal system and that we have independently elected governors and we have the president, but they're very much driven by partisanship. So even the Democratic and Republican governors are responding differently. And so the president has spent most of his time attacking Democratic governors the governor of California, the governor of New York, for example. And in turn, that's been reflected in Democratic governors being more critical of the president. Also, we've seen as the president was sort of losing public approval in terms of his response to the coronavirus, Governor Cuomo of New York has been featured very widely in the media. I mean, almost every night on the evening news, They have a clip of Governor Cuomo talking about the coronavirus pandemic in New York. And so he's become kind of a media darling. And President Trump has not been as nearly successful in maintaining public support. Decisions on the timing of lockdown measures and issues over the availability of testing have caused some friction between state and federal governments in Mexico. March 15 was a Sunday. And it was a holiday, Monday the 16th. So there was no school from the previous Friday 
until Monday the 16th because it was a holiday. So the federal government mandated during that weekend that classes all levels were going to be suspended on March the 23rd when the Jona Nacional de Sana Distancia started, mandated by the federal government. However, more or less 10 out of the 32 states decided to close schools, bars, restaurants, museums, and beaches on the 17th, so close to a week earlier than the federal government had already mandated. There was a large rock concert planned for Mexico City on that same weekend, on the 14th and 15th of March, and the Mexico City government wanted to cancel that rock concert. It's called Vive Latino. And there's been ample discussion in several media regarding the fact that the federal government, they say the president himself, wanted the concert to go on because he didn't want to stop the economy from uh, moving. So um, that was one of the first instances of problems. There were others regarding, for example, testing. Testing was called by the World Health Organization as the most important factor in preventing and controlling COVID-19. Unfortunately, in Mexico, it was, I think, it was decided not to run many tests. So we have one of the lowest number of tests controlling for population all over the world. That caused very acute worries among social and public and political actors in Mexico. So the government of Jalisco, which is a, a large, a very prominent state in Mexico, economically and politically and culturally, decided to purchase antiviral tests on its own, with its own resources. And they were able to acquire these resources in a very convoluted international market. And the tests came to Mexico. They had to go through Mexican customs in Mexico City, and then they were going to be shipped to Jalisco. And they, according to the statements of the governor of Jalisco, they were stopped. National Health Ministry decided not to let those tests to come in. So there have been several frictions regarding how to manage the crisis. These frictions raise an important question. Have federal government structures been a help or a hindrance in dealing with the COVID pandemic? Does a federal architecture enable governments to more effectively tailor measures to local conditions? Or does it potentially inhibit the implementation of a more unified national response? Mr. Ray believes the federal structure has been a positive in managing the crisis in Canada. I think, in fact, federalism has helped. I mean, we are, by, by nature of our geography, our history, the diversity of our population, our sh- the sheer size of the geographic size of the country, we are a federal country. Fedr- federalism is natural to us. We couldn't survive without federalism. It's what, makes us, it's what makes our country work. And I think, in fact, in this crisis, it has worked. It has been tested. There are challenges. But I think it is working. I, I, I don't, and I think, in fact, it's, one of the, it's the main reason, I think, why the federal government decided not to invoke the Emergencies Act, because I think their conclusion was, look, we really don't know. Uh, we can't run the nursing home system in Vancouver from Ottawa. We can't, we can't assert you know, if we assert our jurisdiction, that means we have to, be, it has to be efficacious. We have to be able to do something with it. It has to be effective. And if we can't really make it effective because we just can't run the system from Ottawa, then let's respect 
the provincial jurisdiction. Let's work with the provinces and let's and let's work in a cooperative way. And I think that's the conclusion that the federal government has come to. And I I happen to think that it was right for the federal government to consider the Emergencies Act, but I also think it was right in the end for them to decide not to invoke it because in fact they didn't they didn't have to invoke it and invoking it wouldn't have wouldn't have helped them to resolve some situations. For example, the provinces have turned to the federal government and to the army and said, can you send in the army into some of our nursing homes because we simply can't deal with the personnel uh, shortages that we're facing? And the federal government said, yes, of course, that's what, we, that's what we're there for. Similarly, the American federal system has been advantageous, as it has enabled states to act autonomously to deal with the pandemic. Well, in my view, the uh, federal structure has been an advantage because as the coronavirus has endured, we've learned more and more about it. So there's a lot we didn't know beginning. And so having the differential responses of the states being laboratories of democracy, so to speak, I think was a good idea because no one knew what the best way to approach the pandemic was. So we now know that density is a factor. Certain sectors of the population are more affected than others. We will over time learn, I think, from the experience of the states, perhaps what works best and and what doesn't. But I don't think anybody was in a position to know at the start of the pandemic what a single uniform national policy would have looked like because we didn't have all the information. And in the absence of perfect information like that, it makes the federal system very advantageous. We could have had, I think, more cooperation from the federal government from the start. So that's definitely the case. But I don't know that the states being able to act on their own, I think, means that the, even the lack of good federal cooperation initially wasn't seriously detrimental. Interregional inequality and the centralized nature of the Federation in Mexico mean that mounting a coordinated response has been more challenging. We all know that one of the visions to create federations is to being able to tend to very asymmetrical territories or conditions in the territories of the subnational units. That happens all over the world. Most federal countries have that situation, and that's one of the reasons why they decide to organize themselves as a federal system. However, if you look at what some authors have called interregional inequality, that is the difference between regions in the same federal system, countries in Latin America are the countries with the highest interregional inequality. So to, to give a very concrete example, the per capita GDP of Campeche in Mexico City, the state with the highest GDP per capita, is roughly 50,000 US dollars, compared to the state with the lowest GDP per capita, which is Chiapas, with roughly 7,000 US dollars. So it's almost seven times, 7.5 times. So that means that the differences across regions in Mexico are even larger than differences in regions in other federal countries, uh, like in the US or Canada. The Mexican Federation is rather centralized, not only financially, but also politically. So for example, all the parties, the most important parties, are all federal parties with A few rare exceptions. We haven't had local or regional parties like happens in the Canadian case. This 
interregional, very deep interregional inequality, plus the centralized nature of the federal system, both financially and politically, means that in Mexico, we haven't had much practice with coordination. So even though there are some formal bodies or mechanisms for cooperation, what happens in fact with most social programs in Mexico is that the federal government devises the plans, the programs, and pretty much uh, mandates to the states and municipalities what they have to do regarding that specific program with very little input from state and local governments. And of course, they are always given the option not to participate in the federal program. But usually, there's a large amount of financial resources coming along these programs. So it's very difficult for a state government to say no to the implementation of a federally funded and designed program. For more from the world of federalism and multilevel governance, check out forumfed.org. As many countries begin to ease their lockdowns, with the immediate health emergency abating, focus is shifting to what lessons can be learned from the ways that governments have handled the crisis. Understanding the reasons behind the high numbers of COVID deaths in Canada's long-term care facilities is crucial. I think there will be some very tough questions, particularly around the the level of death. The number of people who have died in long-term care facilities is not unique to Canada, but it is certainly a very severe problem in our country and one that I think forces us, requires us to really look at how could this have been avoided? How could we have reduced the number of deaths of people who are admittedly older and frail, because that's why they're in institutions? but nevertheless very much alive. So you, you then have to say, well, how, how could we have prevented this? How could this have been avoided? And I think that will be the big issue in terms of the, the ways in which the provinces and the federal government have managed this. A key lesson from the US experience is that, in the face of a crisis, federal systems can facilitate autonomous action by the constituent unit. An advantage of having a federal system in which the constituent units have a significant amount of power allows them to move forward at their own pace, particularly if the national government is not very responsive or is poorly responsive. So if you have an enlightened national government, maybe that's better, but very frequently we don't. And so I think having a federal system where the the constituent units have substantial capabilities to respond is definitely an advantage. In Mexico, COVID has highlighted the need for a more effective plan for health emergencies and greater investment in health at all levels. We need to devise a plan that probably have to revise every time there's a change in governor or there's a change in the federal government. We don't have civil service in Mexico, so many positions across levels of government change when there are elections. So we have public officials changing with high turnover in Mexico. First thing is we need to devise a plan to tend to emergencies like this one, in which it is clear what type of guidelines the federal government is going to propose or impose to the country, and what type of leeway subnational governments have 
given those guidelines. And we need to have federal resources and state resources available for emergencies. Probably your audience are familiar with a very interesting effort done by the, Econ- the Economist Intelligence Unit together with the Melinda and Bill Gates Foundation regarding an index of global health security. And the idea was to rank countries according to their preparedness to a biological threat like this one. And there are roughly 120 countries ranked in that index. And Mexico is all over number 28 and is number four in in Latin America, just below Brazil, Argentina, and Chile. So Mexico is supposed to be quite well prepared compared to other countries to these kind of epidemics. However, given that Mexico has been investing quite low percentages of GDP in the health system, and given that it's still fragmented, and given that we have a low number of physicians and nurses compared to other countries in, in the world, our health system is very weak. So another lesson, I think, is to strengthen the health system overall, not only for crisis, but for regular times. And we need to include the voices and the votes of of subnational governments, both states and municipalities in the National Health Council. I think that's of utmost importance. For more on COVID and governance, check out the forum's Dealing with the COVID Crisis series for expert perspectives on 23 federal and default countries. You can find it at forumfed.org publications. A crisis of the scale of COVID is likely to have significant impacts on governance in the short, medium and long term. In federal countries, These impacts will be felt at all levels of government. So, are federal dynamics likely to change as a direct consequence of the crisis? Although it's still in the early stages of its reopening, the economic and health challenges faced by Canada are likely to prompt serious discussion between the federal and subnational governments. Most fundamentally on the economic side, financial side, and the relationship between the federal government and the provinces, I don't think we know yet because the provinces have really not revealed the state of their finances in a, in a completely transparent way. I mean, they've, they've had other issues to deal with. But I think as, as it becomes clear what the substantial difficulties facing many provinces are, I think there will be some very basic questions asked about how are we going to deal with this? I think, generally speaking, that if the federal government is being asked to play an even stronger role in buttressing and strengthening the financial position of all of the provincial governments, I think there will be an argument at play about, well, what controls and what additional powers should the federal government have if it is being asked to play this major stopgap role? I'm not predicting that that there will be a wholesale change. I do think that it's implausible to think that there will not be major issues between and among the governments as to how these issues are going to be resolved going forward. It it will be difficult. I think on the issue of health, 
the federal government will say, look, how, how we're treating seniors is a major issue. It's a, it's a human rights issue. It's also a major healthcare issue. The federal government has always played a strong role in, in the healthcare system. There is a Canada Health Act and has never been challenged in court, has never been challenged, never been overturned by, by a court saying the federal government doesn't have these, can't pass this kind of legislation. And so I think that when it comes to looking at our healthcare system generally, there will be some considerable degree of, of discussion about powers and also about responsibilities and about how it's going to be financed. And finally, I think when it comes to income support programs, again, the federal government stepped in very quickly, putting a lot of money into the system right away with its emergency benefit program. And I think that a lot of Canadians will say, well, we do seem to be missing some things here. One of the areas that's missing is a broad-based income support approach that would include welfare and other programs that are currently run by the provinces, and also childcare. You'd say, well, that's another area where Clearly, we've seen the need for childcare and the critical role that childcare plays in the life of the economy and of the national economy. The Canadian structure on childcare is, uh, frankly, pathetic, and I think there will be a demand from the public for a more vigorous program in that area, and that will involve a lot of negotiations between the federal government and the provinces. According to Professor Kincaid, the upcoming 2020 presidential elections, rather than the COVID crisis, are likely to have an influence on any shifts in the federal dynamics in the United States. The pandemic itself is not going to cause a shift in federal dynamics. What will cause a shift in federal dynamics will be if the election in November produces a Democratic president and a Democratic House and Senate, then we will see a major shift. And the coronavirus will be one of the rationales for the shift in policy that will be undertaken by the Democrats. But if the Democrats do win the election, we will see a full-throttled federal government back in operation, much different from what we're seeing right now under the current administration, which has taken much more of a state's rights position. So a Democratic victory in November would really set the federal system back on a course that it's been moving on for several decades, which is gradually toward more centralization. And what we've seen is a kind of a temporary restraint on that under the current administration. Professor Flamond is skeptical about the crisis leading to any meaningful long-term shift in the federal dynamics in Mexico. I consider that there are, in Mexico, in the Mexican federal system, there are very entrenched dynamics and structures that have kind of frozen up our federal system. So um, probably... The high interregional inequality, which is much higher than other interregional inequalities in other federal systems, and the fact that party system is rather national and centralized, and the current arrangements in fiscal terms are going to prevent the federal system from becoming more decentralized. But there has been some recognition by the federal government of the need to allow the state governments to play a role in the reopening of the country. In the latter part of the crisis, there was a change in the way the federal government was managing this. And I think this change has the potential to ease or to make more effective the reopening of the economy and the coming back to the regular activities of people in Mexico. And that was to decide to give some federal guidelines in when 
on how to reopen the economies, but allow the state governments to decide in particular how to implement these, these reopenings. So I think we moved in, in, in a very short time from the federal government trying to control everything to a situation right now in which the federal government has recognized that our country is very large and asymmetrical and complex, and then thus it makes sense to let the federal system operate. One possible solution that comes to mind is we may be a good idea to create a national commission with experts, and they have a certain set of criteria to decide which industries open and which not, and they issue recommendations to the state government, very clear and transparent recommendations according to certain national-wide criteria. And then the state government or the government decide to open it or not. But at least we have clear, transparent information. COVID has prompted governments in federations in North America to take unprecedented actions to protect the lives and livelihoods of their citizens. We've heard from the experts how some of the federal governance dynamics have played out during the crisis so far. So, how would they sum up the performance of the federal systems in each of the three countries? In Canada? As cooperative as possible in the circumstances. (laughs) In the U.S.? mostly effective, primarily because of the ability of the states to move forward at their own speed in the face of a presidential administration that has not been really up to speed. And in Mexico? Effective in health, ineffective in the economy, and uncoordinated overall. Professor John Kincaid, and Professor Laura Flamont. You can find Bob and Laura on Twitter at BobRay48 and at Flamont underscore Laura. We want to hear from you. To get in touch with the podcast, email podcast at forumfed.org. That's podcast at forumfed.org. For more information on federalism, multi-level governance, and the work of the forum, check out our website at forumfed.org. You can find us at ForumFed on Twitter and as Forum of Federations on Facebook. This episode was written, hosted, and produced by me, Liam Whittington. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next episode of Forum Fedcast. <laughs>